searching for Canada's best startups. The Pitch Please Podcast. Hosted by Mike Thibodeau. Give us your best pitch. Pitch Please. Three, two, one. Connecting with Canada's startups to learn about their business and the amazing people behind them. Follow along and hear some of the most interesting ideas in startups from across Canada. What's up, everybody? It's Mike. We're back here on the Pitch Please podcast. And today I've got Daniel from Law Broker. They're a screening software that helps law firms qualify new leads or something like that. I'm looking forward to learning more, not just about Law Broker, but about Daniel's pretty cool past. So maybe to kick us off, Daniel, maybe like let's start with a quick introduction about yourself and maybe kick us off with where your career journey started. Yeah, sure. Mike, thanks again for having me. I, I think I counted I'm like the fourth or fifth legal tech company on this pod. So I know you're gonna you're going down that specific niche, but yeah, just a quick introduction about myself. My name is Daniel Steinberg. I'm the founder and CEO of a company here in Toronto called Wallbroker. You know, my career path was always very focused on becoming an entrepreneur and very focused in on how I could be a really strong operator as a first-time founder. So I actually found myself in a career in accounting early days, was working in private practice at EY, really understanding how CEOs and COOs naturally run a business and execute on it. Quickly decided that that wasn't for me. I was just doing it to do it and uh, quickly pivoted into tech sales. I um, Sales is obviously incredibly important in order to understand how to sell yourself, sell a business, communicate with multiple different stakeholders within an organization, and actually started my career at a company in Toronto called Influitive. It was an advocacy marketing software, which plays nicely once we get into pitch, please, about you know what Lawbroker truly does, but it was very focused on really creating your best advocates from your customers and champions and being able to sell software to large enterprises like Salesforce, Cisco, Oracle, et cetera, on how to turn those advocates into into champions. And did that for a couple of years. Again, for me, becoming an operator was very focused on how do you get the full scope of an organization and business and was very focused in on becoming, rounding out, excuse me, that experience uh, on the partnership side to get a better grasp of how to work cross-departmentally, internally, and externally. And naturally, that led me to a career at Clio, one of the largest legal tech companies throughout North America, an operating system for law firms. And I you know, went over to Clio to manage and run the affiliate program, working with third-party consultants on scaling up Clio's business and alternative revenue streams. And naturally, that progressed into managing and running the app ecosystem as well where I managed 200 plus app partners, some as small as Lawbroker, all the way through to companies as large as Google, Microsoft, Dialpad, and Intuit. Uh, you and I never worked together, but from a, from you know that perspective, how this all led to Lawbroker was I was working directly with Google on digitizing a law firm's online presence. And that was as simply as building out a Google My Business profile, which as we know is sort of get online 101. And at the time, it was very focused in on how can we help support law firms be found and just found this massive gap between my past experience and consumer psychology and how people shop for everyday goods and services and how it was very broken within the legal industry. So it's interesting that you, you identified this problem kind of on a journey from being in a more of a legal space. But if we like rewind all the way, 
when you were in school and then starting your journey at EY, like it doesn't sound like you had intended to ever specifically become an entrepreneur. Is that the case? Or were you like, listen, I want to go learn some skills. I probably do have some entrepreneurialness to me. There, I see myself as going out and doing this someday, but first I want to go build up some skill set. Yeah. Like what, what did it, was it a chicken before the egg here or what, how did that kind of work out? Yeah, for you? I think from an early age, I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur as I used to call it like an inventor. I was an ideas person. The amount of ideas I've had that I'm sure, you know, many people listening to this podcast have had and have aspirations of becoming an entrepreneur versus jumping into it was me. The amount of ideas that I would write down and pitch and go and whatever, somehow they always turned into finding articles about companies that were just like that, that raised hundreds of millions of dollars. And I think that's what pushed me to finally sort of move forward. But I got some really good advice from who's now our lead investor. Probably about eight years ago, I had come up with this idea for an app and I thought it was brilliant. And he looked at me and he said, it, it needs a lot of work and it, there's, you'll understand once you go and get some experience as to why this doesn't make sense for you now. And it was probably one of the biggest lessons I had learned as an entrepreneur early on. And the reason it wasn't the right time then was because there was no prescriptive reason why Daniel Steinberg or that company could be successful. Any entrant could come in there and do the same thing. And it's very hard to drive conviction as to why I'm doing this outside of the fact that it was an idea that I'm sure hundreds of people have had in the past, which naturally becomes challenging to do things like raise money, drive conviction from an acquisition perspective and so many things because you don't have the experience that you naturally need to pitch. And when I came to him with this idea of Law Broker, which started actually as a marketplace, it made sense why I was doing it. I had this sales background on the marketing advocacy side. I was transitioning that from a legal tech perspective where I had just worked for two years at the largest legal tech company. And there was a reason why I should be the one to do this versus just some random Joe Schmo that, you know, comes off the street and has a legal tech idea. Yeah, I think that's an important piece to talk about. So like, can we just unpack that advice a little bit? Because I think what you're saying is definitely anybody could be an entrepreneur. And if they've got an idea, action is probably the most important piece. Because otherwise, like you said, you'll find it in a newspaper sure. one day. People don't read newspapers, but you'll find it somewhere online and you'll be like, oh, I should have started. And you definitely can. But especially when you're looking for investment, if you're not looking to bootstrap it, if you're looking to bootstrap, you can do whatever the hell you want because you, you know, you'll build it based on your own. But investors really do look for some of these elements, which is what makes you and this idea specifically unique versus others. Why is this idea unique and what's the moat and why are you uniquely positioned to make it succeed? Can you talk about that and you know how some of that feedback landed and how you knew that this was the right thing. You talked a little bit about some of those experiences, but like what's what's the right amount of experience or things to make you unique? And have you thought through that for yourself? Yeah, it's, again, as I'm sure everyone says on these conversations, like everyone's journey is very different. I don't think there's like a line in the sand that says until you have six years of experience and two years sales experience and so on and so forth, you're officially going to be an incredible operator. It's not like that. There's no line in the sand that says that. But I think you recognize that you have enough conviction to be able to sell yourself. Obviously, like you mentioned, if you're bootstrapping something, you can pick up and do whatever you so choose and you can do it part time and all these good things. Uh, it's just hard, you know, if you're going to dive into something 
and build a consumer facing product where it does take a lot of capital to do so, you need people to bet on you and you as a first time founder. And if you want to do that, you're selling someone on yourself and a vision and the roadmap and the reason why it should be successful. And 99.9% of these angel investors and people putting funds behind something is the individual behind it. So I just happened to have a great legal tech experience that helped me with my specific pitch. Since this is, you know, going to be the, the star of the show, that, that one word, but that's really what it came down to, right? And for me, I, I found a gap. It wasn't that I thought I would be the best operator at that moment in time, but I had so much conversation and, and visuals around what that major gap was just from an insider perspective that all of a sudden I took the experience of being an individual from an external perspective and paired that with my experience that I had internally at a very successful legal tech company. And it felt as though it was the right time. Got it. And um, I think that's like so useful to know because like there, there isn't a right time, but it's like, are there, are you convicted? Can you position the value that you've got in this scenario? And you, like you said, you don't have to, but it helps. It's definitely something that's going to be helpful. And it sounds like you had a conversation with someone who's your investor now that, that gave you that feedback at some point in time. So then you, you were at Clio, you're working on channel and partnerships. And then somewhere in there, you either decided to leave Clio or you started seeing these gaps as you were setting up, you know, the online profile for many of these legal firms. Where was the aha moment? And when did that turn from like something you were doing regularly to, hey, there's a way to solve this yeah. and starting to go down the path of law broker? Yeah, I think there's so many people that say like COVID sparked X, Y, and Z. And, and truly, it was right at the cusp of COVID. Um, it was really focused on and the digital transformation of a law firm, which again, was as basic as getting an online profile, which most people listening to this conversation, that's like get online 101. Um, you can't really have a, an online presence without Google My Business or your virtual storefront, if you will. And for me, um, the laggardness behind getting online seemed broken. Like that seemed so yesterday's problem, not tomorrow's problem, that it must have been the only industry remaining that had issues around how do I get online? And, and one of the challenges is because a lot of these legal experts or people that become legal entrepreneurs and law firms, they can spin up their own storefront or excuse me, own shingle uh, in the US as soon as they graduate school. They don't have to, like similarly to that in Canada, article for a year or anything like that. They can snap their fingers and say, I want to open up my own shingle. And there's about a million solo practitioners in the US alone. And because of that, it, they're not learning how to run a business in law school. They're learning how to be lawyers. And that's one of the biggest challenges that a lot of these law firms have from a competition perspective and growth perspective and things like that. And there was this natural disconnect between we're telling you that you can be found on Google by opening up a Google My Business. But what does that mean from the other side of things, right? How does it support the accessibility from the consumer mindset? Because a lot of these law firms think about themselves, but not necessarily what the mindset is from the consumer. And it, it seemed like there was this, this open opportunity to explore. I mean, I started looking into it, like how do consumers shop online? How do they interact? There's this whole focus around digital transformation. Why is there this 
broken system of if it's 7 p.m. and I need a lawyer, how do I call someone? There was no engagement from a digital perspective, similarly to that of what we would do every single day ourselves. And then that was kind of that moment that I started to push through and say, I, it's time for me to, to, you know, try something. Got it. Makes, makes sense. So you were seeing these gaps. I think this is probably the right crossover moment for us to hear your pitch, because there's a whole bunch of questions I have about the legal space, about the getting online, the getting found and the connection points. So you're on a show called Pitch, please, Daniel. It sounds like you've got something ready for us. Uh, your best pitch. Please. Yeah, definitely. So just to uh, you know, lay the foundations here, Lawbroker is really, it's a marketing platform. It helps firms pre-qualify individual consumers wherever they come from, from a digital transformation perspective. It creates distinctive buying journeys to help clients self-diagnose what their true issues are and then guides them down a path of question flows through things like gamification and alternative consumer psychology functions that naturally help guide them down what the legal experience should be from that first point of interaction. We funnel all that data to the lawyer and law firm directly so that they can determine who the right fit for them is, if they can support them within their jurisdiction, if it's a good quality case for their business, and ultimately prioritize their time, which is the number one metric for a law firm. And that's really what Lawbroker is focused on. 100% front-end experience for a lawyer. That's cool. So it, it, there's a whole bunch of questions I have about Lawbroker. But before, let's maybe even set that foundation then in the industry. You talked a little bit about most don't have digital storefronts, but let's even widen the aperture even more. Like what are the spectrums of lawyers? Like do, what do you mean? Like don't I just, I need a lawyer. I get a lawyer, right? Or, you know, like let's help people understand sort of the, the matching component that you're talking about and the screening component and why that's valuable and how people even try to do that yeah. today, other than maybe looking at a billboard and calling the number because they see a personal injury lawyer, I got hurt. For sure. Okay. But there's obviously way more. So to I it. just want to lay the foundation just quickly because you threw me off when I had to pitch right away, but there there's two elements of law broker here. So law broker started as a recommendation and matching platform. So I don't want to confuse the matching piece to that. That's no longer what we do. We're 100% a software that sells direct to law firms to help them pre-qualify the leads that they generate across the internet. When we were starting, and I hadn't finished the, the lag story here, Mike, but you know, we jumped right into it. But when we had started the business, when I had quit Clio, the, the hypothesis and thesis was, how do we create this recommendation and matching platform similar to that of an Uber, where law broker would ingest data, understand the new influences of that consumer? Because like you just said, how does someone know who the right lawyer is or anything in between, and then pass that through the appropriate lawyer from there and recommend that to the end consumer. So we played in that more lead generation space. We pivoted fairly early. And the reason for that is from a consumer marketplace perspective, it's incredibly capital intensive. Um, and without you know tens of millions of dollars, it's very challenging to scale into different markets and things of that nature. So we were specifically operating within the Ontario space, which is fine but it became incredibly challenging to create a sustainable business model. So we learned a lot in those first six to eight months and shifted quickly. And the reason for that was what we recognized early on was there's so many different ways that lawyers get new business, as you, one of your questions was just now, which is probably seven to 10 different ways. Google My Business, social media, Google Ads, 90% of the time referral sources, other marketplaces, um, you know, so on and so forth. Contact us forms on your website. Et cetera, et cetera. That there didn't really 
make a, a need for Lawbroker to own that and be that source of truth. So what we wanted to do is dissect our software, still provide the elements that were successful, which was the pre-qualification element that all law firms want to know and provide that software to the law firms directly so that they can naturally create a standard and repeatable process of ingesting client data no matter where they found them across the internet. And that's where it shifted to. So I just wanted to clarify that um, early on in this conversation. No, no, that's good. No, no, that's good because I think it's like, we talked about those elements and then we got your pitch. And so now I think we're tying it together, which was there's this initial hypothesis. Now there's what Law Broker is, but that came after a pivot of, and I think that's a valuable insight in itself, right? You talked about this B2C offering and how hard it is without lots of money to go make a big impact in a B2C way. And so you found a B2B pivot to focus on similar problem, but from the other side, which is, okay, when they are getting demand, how are they sorting through it? And the sorting today is is poorly organized and maybe not as streamlined or as a great of a customer service experience as people would desire. So that's that's where you're focusing. So you sell directly to the law firms any type of lawyer, and you have this offering. Now, why, um, help us understand a little bit about why the intake process uh, needs to be streamlined. Like, what does that even look like? If I go see a lawyer, I assume I just call them and, and get rolling, but I guess it's not like yeah, that. Yeah, it's a really good question. So the problem that, that exists today is there's no, <laughs> unfortunately, good and bad, but you know, traditionally a consumer uses a lawyer one to three times in their lives. It's not a transactional product that you're purchasing like a, you know, the sweatshirt on our backs right now, which means that naturally a consumer doesn't know the needs of what the lawyer needs them to tell them. So they think they have a legal problem. They may or may not, but the lawyer can't have that conversation until they understand specific qualifiers that are very important. And we relate that back to every industry. Again, I came from sales. You can never sell someone until you understand their problems and pain point. Otherwise, you're going to be selling them on price sensitivity. And that's naturally what happens within the legal space. It's the race to the bottom. Well, who's the cheapest? And the reason that happened is because they have these static contact forms where consumers are naturally now shifting online. 78% of legal consumers start their search on Google. And they, they start their search on Google. They click on either an advertisement or a lawyer through organic SEO, or they searched a law firm that someone told them about. They land on their website. Traditionally, consumers are searching for lawyers after hours. So that construct of picking up the phone is only as good as if it's during hours because you're likely not, you know, leaving a voice message and they're clicking, I need a free consultation and taking them to traditional contact us forms, which I don't know about you, but I don't think anyone's filled out a contact us form for 15 years. And the reason for that is it goes into an abyss. It goes into junk. You're asking the consumer to tell you what their story is, but they don't know what you need to, them to tell you. So a consumer starts sharing about five paragraphs about their problem space, but there's actually only one trigger point that the lawyer needed to know to, to understand whether they can support you. And that's the missing piece. And that's the element where law broker takes into consideration. We allow law firms to create these dedicated buying journeys, whether you're doing, again, it, it goes uh, broad into granularity. So let's say you do family law. Well, guess what? Family law has five different service offerings at my law firm. If you don't see it, then you don't come to my law firm, right? It's this choice of self-diagnosis that doesn't exist today that allows consumers to naturally funnel themselves into your funnel versus funnel themselves out and not waste everyone's time. 
Got it. And so there's like unique qualifiers to intake. So it's, it, and I mean, I, I know I'm extremely simplifying it, but it's like getting the intake form custom built for every single type of lawyer to make sure that the intake process is I good. call it pre, but there's a whole other I call it pre intake. And the reason for that is intake is super frictional. So we don't replace intake. Intake typically happens when Mike says, Hey, lawyer, I'm ready to retain you, which happens after one or two conversations. We support. How do you know when to have that initial consultation? That's where we sit. We're almost like a glorified, if you know, if there's business people on this call or a glorified BDR on the internet, right? We want to capture as much data as possible so that you can take that conversation and elevate the experience that much better. Got it. It's really helping pre-qualify the customer so that when you hop on the call, it can be much more effective, which I imagine, and, and maybe this is the big piece here lawyers time generally their bill rates is worth a lot and so getting to clarity on a lead yep. or an opportunity <laughs> in business speak is is super important how are they doing this before law broker like what did this look like was it literally just that contact us form and then they'd have to get on a call burn a bunch of sales cycles and time yeah take away from other billable yeah so what happened is, is that sort of like the norm yeah so so typically um, what would happen is they would either generate phone conversations and, you know, front desk staff are great salespeople. They're not trained to be sales individuals. So they, they don't have a standard question template or anything like that. So you've now created this experience where no matter wherever the client comes from, you might get scratch pad notes or something like that. That's not standardized. So you can't create a proper process within that specific domain. But the other element was, yeah, people are filling out contact us forms, sharing their story. And then naturally, or, or saying something along the lines of, I need help. And the lawyer has to pick up the phone because that might be a case worth a million dollars or a case not at all. And um, I think the, the other important element that LawBroker uh, functions on is we're a web traffic conversion tool. So by creating a distinctive new process that consumers are used to actually increases the volume of individuals coming into your inbox because it makes it really simple for the consumer to engage with you. But what it does for the law firm is it allows you to take the conversation much more high level or sorry, much more, much more focused on that specific individual. Because what happens is a a consumer will reach out to two to three different law firms and whoever picks up the phone first, they then wait for the next law firm to call them and the next law firm to call them. And they typically just go off price, period. So what it does, it gives them a bit of a competitive advantage because you're not playing 21 questions anymore. We know your issue, and now we can drive conviction to share our internal operating processes and how we've dealt with other individuals just like you. So we've taken that conversation one step further than what a traditional conversation would look like at a law firm. Super interesting. So I guess uh, a piece that I'd love to learn, because you obviously understand the space super deep, and you would have learned maybe some of this at Clio, but especially after the pivot, where and how did you get such rich insights around this? You know, when, when founders are making a pivot in, in their business, they have some knowledge, but to get like deep level expert in the whole process of the things these lawyers are dealing with, where their pain points exist, what sort of things did you have to go through to help to build up some of that and informed understanding to really tailor your product? I never got complacent. Like we had thousands of consumers coming through our workflows on the B2C product and I never thought we were successful. Um, every single day I said, What's bad about the product? Why doesn't it work? What's not good? Oh, the leads aren't good. Why aren't they good? You, 
the second you think you're successful because there's driven demand through your product is the second that it becomes very challenging to continue to innovate and, and engage with your customers. And we would have never pivoted if I, if I thought that we were being successful. Like thousands of consumers in you know, three to six months is incredible for a B2C product, um, in my opinion, at least. And uh, for someone just coming onto the scene. And at the end of the day, some of those leads weren't good. Um, and we wouldn't have known that if we didn't talk to our customers and understand what was happening behind the scenes. And what we naturally started to understand was what is that exact, exact moment that the customer says law broker is valuable? And that one value piece to the, to the law firm was the rich data that we would provide them because before they had no standardized way to inject um, the qualifiers that mattered to them. And we took that and said, okay, we're going to go, we're going to, you know, strip this apart completely. And we're going to say, this is what we're really good at pre-qualification. And now eight months later into this new product, we're saying we're a web traffic conversion tool really focused in on the, the marketing element of a law firm, right? Because we continued to listen. And as we went up market and sold to larger law firms, they didn't necessarily care about like the pre-qualifiers. They cared about getting more at and law broker was converting at a five X rate than their traditional you know, contact us form without changing a thing except for a couple of buttons on their website and ads and things of that nature. So it's a lot of listening um, and a lot of not being complacent and saying, you know, we're good. Yeah, and it's the patience to to even modify it like that because what I'm hearing as you go through this is some startups uh, oftentimes just chase more features. What you were identifying is which of our features is like the most important to drive value, right? So instead of just, you will have a roadmap of new things you add, but in asking questions, not being complacent, you were finding the opportunity, where's the most value in this chain today? And let's double down on that because that's going to be our, our best path to success, which is really, really cool. Um, maybe let's talk a little bit about how the product actually works. Like, do, is it software? Do you plug it on your website? Walk us through like, in a perfect world, we'd have visuals, yeah. um, but like help, help kind of build us through or walk us through as if, uh, you're part of the customer journey, maybe. Sure. Um, and then we'll talk about how that shows up on, on the lawyer's end of the law firm. Yeah. End. So we're, we're a cloud solution as I guess everything is. And I'm not sure you have to use that language anymore, except it's, you know, still used in the legal space, um, but we're a cloud-based platform. The back end really looks, it, again, it's very focused on keep it simple, stupid. So what we're really focused on is allowing law firms to create different campaigns based off different practice areas. Under the umbrella of a campaign, you're going to have different buying journeys. So again, a campaign could look something like family law. And under the umbrella of a campaign, you then might have divorce, child custody, child support, prenups, et cetera, et cetera. And it allows law firms to go in there, create their templatized solutions on what their key qualifiers are. Lawbroker does have pre-built templates that are used across different law firms where we've seen success across different service types that they can implement very quickly. And then from there, we're a linking structure. So we're not an embedded solution. The reason for that is similar. You know, at the beginning of this conversation, I talked about seven to 10 different sources of truth of how clients can find law firms. So we want to be able to capture that moment in time, no matter where the client finds you. So because we're a hyperlink solution, it can live anywhere across the internet that clients can find you, Google ads, social media, Google my business, contact us buttons, so on and so forth. 
and it can get as granular as you want to create distinctive find journeys. So if you're on a practice area specific page on your website and someone's reading about, again, a divorce, well, we naturally know if they say schedule a consultation that that's a divorce problem and we take them right into the funnel from there. Outside of that, so again, we operate very focused on the front end experience. The way that it looks is uh, it's an embedded landing page with, um, or sorry, it's a landing page, excuse me, with embedded workflows where the client can essentially self-diagnose their, their pain points of their legal case. On the backside of it, law firms will traditionally use LawBroker as a plugin to their operating system, like a Clio, Lawmatics, HubSpot, so on and so forth. So again, we funnel all the data into the tools they already use so that they don't have to onboard, train new staff, have downtime, migrate, or anything in between. Our onboarding process is about 48 hours or less, which is super important um, in order to drive conviction within the legal space and get buy-in across different parties because it's very hard to adopt new software when you have to train a full staff of individuals. And then because we're a plug-in into different solutions, you're really then coming into LawBroker on a monthly cadence to review the data analytics around the LawBroker platform. How are people engaging with your specific workflows? Uh, which campaigns are succeeding? Where are the bounce rates? How much time are people spending on it? What's your conversion rate across the platform? And then we're syncing all of that with your Google Analytics so that you can retarget and remarket accordingly. It's interesting. So as you focus, I guess, on on law firms, is there like a, a sweet spot of size? Like if some of the things you're talking about, and maybe this is part of your service offering, you know, connected to HubSpot and, and Clio and I've got a website and they have some of these things. Is there like a minimum size that a, a lawyer, a single individual lawyer or a law firm might wish to be to, to recognize the value? Or is there a spectrum where it supports all and maybe you lean in in different ways as law broker to help them on their journey? Yeah, we have customers as small as a solo practitioner and as large as a hundred person firm. And I think it's just the way that individuals use it based off the size. Naturally, our sweet spot is likely a 10 person firm or higher. The, like, the reason, excuse me, is because they naturally focus on uh, spend management to actually drive traffic to their businesses. And as you get below and bleed below a 10-person firm, uh, the affordability of spending to drive new traffic to your business becomes more, more costly um, and, and harder for those individuals to do or at least buy into. Um, so naturally, we trend a little bit more, at least in the legal space, what we would refer to as at market. Um, that being said, you, know, you can really be any type of law firm. We are agnostic. Our biggest success is with transactional law firms because they're very focused on one-off transactions with a consumer. So those would be things like wealth and estates, family law, um, you know, personal injury, criminal defense, um, real estate, things where they're spending online and they're not having a business relationship like a corporate lawyer, for example, with law broker. Doesn't mean that we don't have corporate lawyers on the platform, but it, it's very good for transactional law firms that drive a lot of growth and traffic to their businesses. Got it. And I guess those are transactional things that you need very infrequently, it sounds like, rather than someone that needs to stay with you for a multi-month year journey. Yeah. So 90% of law firms have, you know, infrequent business operations and they're focused on, again, someone, you know, in a slip and fall case or something along those lines, which is why you see those billboards and a lot of spend, spend and money on those, those individual law firms. 
Got it. So I, I love the efficiency. It sounds super intuitive. Is there, and you don't have to name drop them. We don't have to do that on this show, but is there competitors in this space or alternatives? Or is this like pretty unique and where, where, what are maybe the um, types of things that, you know, a law firm that, that is going to embark on a journey with law broker should consider yeah. uh, before kind of cu- giving you a call because you, we want to get you qualified. Hey, it's a, it's a great question. Too, right? it's a so great, we want to make sure that the right it's people. It's a great question. And I'm not shy about naming competitors or anything like that. I think it's up to the law firm to actually do due diligence when they're evaluating different technologies. That being said, I think niche from a specific perspective of a legal solution, I wouldn't say that we're competing in that domain. Um, you know, what I would say is that if you look at different solutions across different markets, things like I'd say we we focus on embedding sort of like a, a four pronged business into our solution. So what I mean by that is if you take a landing page solution like an Unbound and then you take a workflow management solution like a Typeform and then you take a Google Analytic or an agency analytics and then you, um, you know, use Zapier as an integration. You're taking four solutions together and sort of duct taping them together to build what law brokers become. I think the reason that law firms aren't naturally looking towards, quote unquote, those competitors or adjacent products is because we make it so simple for them to onboard and be legal specific that it's really an out of the box solution for them to onboard and adopt right away and make it very simple for them to not think about how to optimize how clients engage with them online. Um, truly our biggest competitor is a contact us form. It's interesting because even the piece that you were talking there about like to achieve the same success, you're bundling multiple solutions together. And I don't know many law firms that are equally trying to become technology firms unless you're a legal tech like yourself. So the integration work is definitely not something that they want to spend time, energy, or cycles on. So you're giving them a suite of everything packaged in one solution that allows them to achieve those goals. And that's that's an interesting kind of closing comment, which is like, yeah, like most, I guess, basic websites and HubSpot would have a contact us form. So that's like, hey, if you don't want qualified leads, do a contact us form. But if you want to really get tighter about how your funnel works and get that pre-screening and get it integrated, uh, the integration elements that you talked about where it integrates into HubSpot, it integrates into Clio, is super critical. This this is the easiest thing to turn on for a law firm to start really pre-screening their clients and getting more qualified leads. So it's super, super cool. And it's good to see that you've kind of got this um, this unique space in the market, but it's also for people that want to seek that value, right? There's probably people that be like, yeah, contact us form is fine. I'm willing to hop on a call every single time. But you're like, if time is of the essence and you want to have your best foot forward, pre-qualifying has been done in every style of business forever. Yeah. And so that's going to help you show up in the best way possible and the most efficient way possible, which is really Yeah. Cool. It's also key like to just, you know, a lot of law firms leave money on the table through contact us forms because people aren't engaging with it. Um, you know, the typical law firm that I talk to, they're getting a ton of traffic and they're having about a 0.1.5% conversion rate on all traffic across the board. And that's, that's broken. That's money on the table. People, you know, the best part about being a lawyer is that if you are advertising online and someone is virtually raising their hand to engage with you, they likely have a problem. It's not like they're shopping for a t-shirt, leaving it in their cart and waiting for the 20% email off to go back and purchase from there, right? So 
you know, people aren't just landing on lawyers' website for the fun of it. They have a potential problem, or at least they think they do. And your job as a law firm is naturally to engage with them and make sure that you can either support them or, you know, ship them somewhere else. Yeah, that that's actually a really good point where if you're seeking this out, you probably need it pretty immediately. It's sort of like if your furnace breaks down and you're looking for furnace repair, you're not doing it casually. It's like there's an immediacy to the qualification process. And, and that's really important to act upon. Now, the product itself, how um, how does Law Broker charge? Is it like an annual one-time package? Is it based on number of people through the pre-qualification or pre-screening process? How does a law firm think about paying for something like Law Yeah, Broker? so we sign annual contracts. I'm big on annualizing things because we're a factor of your marketing spend. So we're as good as your marketing can be. Um, so I don't look at that as short-term solutions. Firm can pay monthly or upfront annually. Um, and there, you know, it's, it's tiered based off size of firm. Um, we kind of bake in that model. Instead of being a usage based firm, we cut, uh, product, excuse me, we kind of take into consideration how a larger firm and how much they would drive in a package price. Uh, but it is a one time annualized fee that gives you everything that we've talked about today. That's cool too, because it gives you the peace of mind that you're not paying more, like to bring in more clients you're sort of you've got a fee based on your size but you don't have the stress of like oh if i have like 700 pre-screenings this month i'm going to pay more next month yeah. if it's which naturally thousand, most people like most you never want them to feel bad about growing which right? naturally most law firms would be happy about but there's also a ton of regulations in the legal space that doesn't allow for fee split or oh, revenue okay. shares or things like that so it's actually um on a per state by state basis on different regulatory models that allow for technology companies to fee split, or if you're not a law firm, just fee split or take rev share or things like that. So you have to be super cognizant about that, which actually um, impacted our business model when we were a marketplace because we couldn't create a standardized way to, um, you know, um, drive revenue if we opened up in new states. Interesting. Well, and speaking of new states, where is Law Broker offered today? Is this like just in Canada, across different provinces? You said states, so I imagine you're in the US too. Yeah. What's sort of like your your area that you can operate to today? Or maybe it's completely unbound and you're just focusing on some regions and areas. Today. Yeah, we're throughout North America. Um, we're about 80-20 right now. Um, naturally, our earliest adopters were in Canada. That's where I am. So when you can go and shake hands in person and share a little bit more about your product, it becomes easier. But it's the classic um, SaaS model, which is usually 90-10, just based off you know the actual market size. So we're trending more towards uh, you know a 90% uh, US, 10% Canada. But you know it can really be sold throughout North America. That's super cool. So where where are you guys at in this journey? It sounds like. You've been working on it since I think you mentioned like 2021. So two years. Uh, we're on the cusp. By the time this gets released, 2024, so like two years. Sounds like you've got some great market traction. You made that pivot pretty early, and you've been seeing some great success. Where Where are you at in the journey today? And if you look at the next year ahead, what's sort of uh, on the horizon for Lawbroker? Yeah. So from a journey perspective, uh, we're at the point of scale. Um, we We've got a good base of customers right now with a lot of success metrics from those individuals to understand how people are using our product. Um, now it's more about pouring fuel on the fire and growing from there, um, hopefully scaling the team uh, if, you know, dollars permit. Um, but the next sort of year out, 
uh, looks more from turning our product into this, you know, web traffic conversion tool into more of a full-fledged marketing platform for law firms to support the way that they can grow their firms, not just be a factor of your marketing spend and how good you are at marketing, but being more of a, an impact of how law firms can naturally grow and, and build different strategies and structures for digital transformation. And that's sort of where we see ourselves over the next, you know, 12 months. That's cool. So expanding up, scaling, it sounds like, I think we're talking to Vinny, is this like a fundraising year for you, 2024, as part of that scale? Or are you able to kind of do it under the wind of every piece of momentum you've sort of got in motion right now? Yeah, it's TBD. We're always, you know, open to conversations and seeing what makes the most sense for our business. It's the most political answer of all time, but like it's, you know, it's unclear. Um, Markets change every single day. It's not the best time to be fundraising. I think that whatever makes the most sense for our business over the next 12 month period is something that we evaluate every single day. But it's, you know, again, without necessarily showing cards, it's, it's unclear what that necessarily looked like for the next little bit. That's fair. Totally fair. Um, and if people are looking to find out more, um, we'll, we'll link everything in the description in the comments section. But if you are interested to maybe help LawBroker or to get started with LawBroker, where should people be heading to, to sign up uh, or connect? Yeah, uh, you can head to LawBroker.com, spelt the classic tech way, L-A-W-B-R-O-K-R. Try and remove that E for fun of it. And uh, you're welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm super active there. Uh, LinkedIn.com slash DSteinberg9. Um, always happy to sort of connect and hear from individuals if they're either looking to become an entrepreneur, um, need advice from an operation perspective, or, you know, just want to chat. Um, always open to sort of building out that community and go from there. Yeah, I love that. And we talked about that bit earlier, right? Like this piece of community and how valuable it is as you're building a startup to grow with the ecosystem and how you're so well connected, even with a bunch of other legal tech firms who are all marching in the same direction. Having that community is really important as a, as a founder. As part of this journey, you know, as we kind of come to the, the tail end, are there pieces of advice that you would say um, you'd find useful? And maybe it's good to talk about them in two ways. One, maybe like, a challenge that you know you 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 overcame, or some of the biggest or most challenging things in starting as a first-time founder, uh, law broker, and then it'd also be good to you know contrast that with some of the most special moments or things that you wanted to make sure other people you know really pay attention to and don't miss out on as as part of their journey. Those are tough questions. I think the per- first piece, like from an, I'll, I'll tackle it in three questions, but the first piece from an advice perspective is you have to dive right in. It's very hard to do something like this on the side. You, it, it's very challenging to build a business and start from scratch um, without a, you know, a, a partner, but really even from a standpoint of currently working another job, it, it's almost impossible. So I really urge people to jump right in and dive right into it if that's something that you ultimately determined you want to do. You know, never, no one ever doesn't, no one ever um, faults themselves for becoming an entrepreneur. There's always, you know, a look back to go back and, and be corporate and, you know, similar to what you had done, right? So it's always a great experience to, to get that. From a challenge perspective, um, one of the biggest challenges we had was during our pivot, uh, we were pretty much out of cash and we couldn't, you know, because again, like I was mentioning, so we had raised $785,000, which obviously seems like a lot and I'm very thankful for it. But when you're running a B2C company, 
um, that money goes very quickly because you're essentially advertising against every other law firm that spend far more money than you online and no one knows what about your brand yet. Um, so it's super capital intensive. And we used a lot of those funds to do that uh, and grow our brand and grow our business. And when we made a decision to pivot to actually save cash and grow sustainably, um, we obviously needed cash to be able to continue forward. And it became challenging because I was a first-time founder. We were back in this pre-seed camp. It was another idea and we haven't proved the market. And I share that story because not from overcoming per se, but one of the best things that happened was not being able to raise a bridge round at the time or enough money. Um, at the time we ended up doing a bridge, but we couldn't go the venture route. But the, the reason it was so valuable not to raise capital is because it really light the fire under you to acquire new customers and generate revenue. Um, and it, I, you know, not that if you raise capital, you wouldn't do that, but it, it's a lot more pressure, pressure cooker when you don't have the money behind you and you start charging annual contracts and payments up front and things like that. And it helped us scale like crazy. And I, I think you just get put in a pressure cooker and need to figure it out if you truly want to thrive. And I think that, you know, overcoming a challenge like that was phenomenal. And um, I'd recommend to everyone, like, focus on generating revenue and getting customers that want to pay for your product. Um, if they, you know, giving it away for free to drive acquisition is typically when people don't use your product. But when someone actually puts skin in the game and pays for it, it, it becomes a lot more lucrative, but also a lot more successful in that perspective. And um, yeah, I think demonstrating profitability is so important now. Sort of cut you off, where so many startups of past were able to just do it on user bases that were all you know on a free tier. But I think this piece that you talked about about being able to figure out how to get cash in the door to keep going, even hacks like charging annual upfront, are brilliant ways to make sure that you as a startup can continue to thrive. And it, it you know that you needed the fire. But it sounds like if someone can take some advice away right now, it's don't even wait to the fire. There's some immediate things you can do to make sure that you start profitable from day one and there's small tweaks along the way. If the fire happens, embrace it, use it to your advantage. But some things they can do to even get ahead of that based on your own learnings through the journey. Yeah, no, for sure. Big fan of charging. You know, find your worth and that's that's what people should be paying for. Cool. What's been like the most memorable or, you know, warm fuzzies experience of, of your journey so far? There's a lot of milestones. Um, I think you, you take every milestone and it, it's hard to sit back and celebrate them because you're so early and there's always more that you have to do, but you have to appreciate, you know, every time you bring on a new customer or hit serious milestones that are just so, so exciting um, for you and the team. And I, I don't have like a, profound memory of one specific thing that I can sit here and say, but when you start to hit some serious revenue bands that, you know, show proof of, of, of model and things of that nature, it's just incredible. I guess, you know, if I had to pinpoint it to one thing, naturally we're not a backend tool, we're a front end tool. And I can point to 50 plus websites that Lawbroker sits on. And when I go and click on those websites that I know that that's powered by Lawbroker, it's one of the coolest experiences. You know that, you know, you put 5,000 consumers through these journeys and your UI and your UX and empowering these law firms and working. Um, and it's just, it's super cool. That is super cool. And it's super neat when you start to run into things that you've built in, in the world around you. So uh, amazing work, uh, Daniel. And thank you for sharing like the details today. I think like you said, I've had a few different law tech 
companies and each one's been interestingly unique. I, I love this concept of bringing the, you know, the sales qualification funnel into a digital sphere and really helping lawyers and their firms get a little bit more precise and advanced with capabilities that, you know, maybe people like you and I have been more fortunate to see at some, some larger tech companies that have a lot of discipline around that. It's a core capability for us and it might not be for a, a legal firm. And that's why you've built something that allows them to take advantage of digital to, to embrace that themselves rather than standing up a BDR team or an entire sales team for their firm. There's a more efficient way to do that. Um, as we kind of come to close, any final advice uh, for our listeners? You shared so much already, but I never leave to like to close the door before we at least give you one more last say if there is something that we missed to share with our audience today. No, I think this was great. I think, you know, 50 minutes of you guys hearing me talk is a lot, but honestly, like if you, again, if you're an aspiring entrepreneur or, or are an entrepreneur, um, enjoy the journey and like, don't forget about elements that are so, you know, every, every moment that you have to enjoy the journey and look at what you've done, um, are successes in their own. Right. And, you know, you, you look it don't, don't look at what's around you and what other people are doing, because that's where, you know, you can naturally put your head down and, you know, be discouraged, but each one of you has a different milestone that you're charging towards and you should celebrate those wins and milestones. Um, and I try and do it as often as I can, but you know, you don't have to, you know, be a billion dollar company tomorrow to have minor successes within your business directly. Celebrate the milestones. What an amazing way to close. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us on the Pitch Please podcast today. Everyone make sure to check out Law Broker, L-A-W-B-R-O-K-R, and make sure to join us on the next Pitch Please podcast. Thanks again for everyone that tuned in and have a good one. You've been listening to the Pitch Please podcast. Pitch Please. Pitch Please. <laughs> Hosted by Mike Thibodeau. Tune in for regular episodes and show notes at pitchplease.ca. And make sure to give us a follow on your favorite podcast platform. Pitch Please, a Bluemex podcast, is hosted by Michael Thibodeau and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. For more Pitch Please content, subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit bluemex.io to join us on Discord.